Welcome to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we are broadcasting live on May 30th from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Later on in the show today, we're going to hear from two famous alumni of New College of Florida, X Gonzalez and Derek Black. They're going to talk about changes to their at their alma mater since Governor DeSantis appointed a conservative majority to the school's board of trustees. But first, we're going to bring on a St. Petersburg City Council member to talk about affordable housing and tenants' rights. And I'd like to hear from you. What's the housing situation like in your neighborhood? Are you a tenant? Are you a landlord? What do you think about Florida passing laws forbidding local governments from making local rules? And the best way to reach out is by text or email. You can email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. I want to welcome now our guest, St. Petersburg City Council member Richie Floyd. Floyd is a former teacher and union activist. Welcome to Tuesday Cafe, Councilmember Floyd. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on the show. So before we talk about tenants' rights, let's just set the stage about housing and affordability in the region. How hard is it to find an affordable place to live? Uh, you know, from my perspective, it's it's gotten increasingly difficult. And honestly, I'd say incredibly difficult. Um over the last few years, uh, housing prices have skyrocketed as they backed off in other parts of the country. They've continued here um, and in much places in the South. Um, it's really expensive. A lot of people uh, want to live where the sunshine and the weather is good year round. And uh, we're struggling with it here. Our, our current residents are, are finding it increasingly difficult to remain housed. So the city is trying to do some things about housing affordability. What are some of the things that your St. Pete City Council has looked at over the last few years and maybe is still considering? Well, we've had uh, a plethora of things. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think there's always room to do more and I think uh, we could be doing better as well. But, uh, you know, we've facilitated uh, housing deals to get uh, developers to build affordable housing um, we have uh, instituted some tenants' rights, uh, although, uh, like you mentioned, the state is pushing back on that. And uh, currently, my most recent proposal has been um, a program called Tenants' Right to Counsel, and it's basically a, a program where if you're facing eviction or behind on your rent, you get uh, legal aid uh, to try to help you sort out your situation. And so there's a lot of different things. Uh, there's other things as well around homeownership. Um, helping city employees pay their rent. Um, the list really goes on. Well, let's talk right now about tenants' right to counsel. Tell us more about what that would do and where that stands in the city. Okay, yeah. So um, the first thing to know about uh, evictions is they're a cumbersome process uh, that's not fun for the tenant for sure and usually isn't great for the landlord either. So um they cost a lot of money just to file, and uh, obviously that's a problem for the landlord, and then it's a problem for the tenant that they get kicked out of their place. Um, and then uh, studies have shown anywhere from 15 to 45% of homelessness is a direct result of uh, evictions. And so if we can slow down the eviction process, which is heavily in landlord's favor in the state of Florida, um, we can help slow down homelessness and really save the money, save the city money over the long term. And so the goal here is to uh, provide every tenant who faces eviction 
uh, a, a lawyer or legal counsel to at least advise them as to how they should proceed, negotiate with the landlord uh, to try to get them more time in their home and uh, make it to where evictions slow down in the city. And this is a thing that's happened all across the country. I think four states and maybe like 15 municipalities have enacted it and they've seen great results. And uh, so that's that's what we're trying to do here. Um, most recently, we've gotten some funding for it to take place in South St. Petersburg uh, over the course of the next year. And we passed a resolution uh, just a couple of weeks ago to uh, show our support for the administration going out and procuring uh, a legal service to do the work across the entire city over the next year. I want to remind people that our guest is St. Petersburg City Council member Richie Floyd, and we're talking about housing affordability and tenants' rights. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan. We're coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And so this, the Tenants' Rights of Council, you're saying, has a little bit of um, uh, sway in South St. Petersburg, you mentioned. But what about the citywide? Is it still, will this be heard before the city council to, to go? Is there, are there other steps that could be happening? Yeah, so we did pass a resolution council in favor of uh, it going citywide. And the plan right now is for the staff and the mayor's office to go out and uh, put together a proposal, a uh, request for a proposal uh, to solicit uh, legal services to provide the work for us. Once they get those legal services to give us proposals, it'll come back to council. We'll review the proposals, we'll review the proposal that the mayor chooses or the city staff chooses, and then we will allocate the funds. And so we've still got to go through the procurement process and the allocation of funds and the okaying of the contract. Um, but uh, council has signaled support for us citywide. Let's talk now about some of the other tenants' rights, uh, things that have gone through city council recently. And so one of them is dis uh, preventing landlords from discriminating against future tenants who rely on government assistance that lasts less than a year. So what's the issue there? What's the problem with uh, tenants who, have, who get government assistance and them finding a place to, to rent? So uh, a pretty common thing, unfortunately, is uh, landlords just saying they won't accept tenants, or, I'm sorry, tenants who have housing vouchers. Um, you can get housing vouchers from a number of places. You can basically, the city provides a sort of voucher for a lot of their workers. Um, you can get them from local nonprofits uh, and social services, and you can also get them from the federal government, like Section 8 housing vouchers. Uh, and this is guaranteed money uh, for a landlord. Your tenant's not going to uh, lose their job and not have money. They're going to always have this voucher as long as they qualify for it, um, which uh, once they get on it, it's a very stable thing. But unfortunately, landlords uh, in the past have been known to say, we just don't accept tenants with vouchers. Um, and, you know, I couldn't tell you their reasons, but uh, there's... Uh, you know, there's some less than reasonable ones, I think, involved there oftentimes and uh, some that are more reasonable. But we've tried to accommodate those in our uh, ordinance prohibiting the discrimination of people based off source of income. And so anyway, um, we put this into effect a while ago and updated it recently, and it's had a great effect. Um, I had personally have had friends who could not find housing. 
because they uh, couldn't find anyone to take their voucher. And uh, that's all changed in the last few years in the city uh, for the better. And it's been really good. There hasn't been any problems at all with it. But uh, unfortunately, the state uh, may preempt that and all of our other tenant regulations soon. Um, so we're really hoping that we can um, overcome those hurdles and continue to institute this program. Uh, it's been a great success, and I hope it continues. And we'll talk more in a moment about the state preemption. But I just want to remind people that we're speaking with St. Petersburg City Council member Richie Floyd. We're talking about tenants' rights, housing affordability. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And the um, there's another part of the tenants' rights that were instituted was giving the government 10 days to complete inspections that are required for certain renters who receive public assistance. Why is that important? Yeah, so that's exactly what I was talking about when I said, like, some things are, uh, we tried to overcome some hurdles. Um, in order to house uh, Section 8 voucher holders, you have to have your property inspected by the local housing authority. Uh, to make sure it's fit for uh, habitation, um, you know, I think that's a pretty reasonable thing, making sure your property is fit for habitation. Habitation, But um, the complaints from landlords was that uh, it took too long and their unit stayed vacant for too long. And so we uh, basically just said, look, there's 10 days. If they can't get it done in 10 days, then um, you can move on. But the housing authority worked with us to come up with that number to say, yes, they could get it done in 10 days. And they'll guarantee that anyone uh, who applies will get it done in 10 days. And so that way we can make sure that people have, that have vouchers can get housed quickly. Um, and, you know, the thing about the vouchers is that you wait for years on waiting lists to get them. Um, going through difficult situations uh, during those years and then you finally get them and then landlords are saying that they won't take them, that's unreasonable. People were losing their vouchers before this. They were waiting, doing everything right to get on these lists uh, to get the vouchers. And uh, now that we've passed this ordinance, it's made it to where people don't just lose that. Uh, and I think that's really powerful. Other counties and cities have tenants' rights ordinances nearby, like Pinellas County has one. City of Tampa and Hillsborough County have various tenants' rights ordinances. Uh, ordinances. So how does St. Petersburg's compare to, especially to Pinellas's and where do things overlap and where can things be kind of made more smooth? Yeah. So uh, first I'll say St. Petersburg was one of the first cities to do this. Even before my time on council, I was really grateful to see uh, a lot of the ordinances enacted. It's not just uh, a, a fighting against income discrimination. It's giving people increased amount of time to know when they're uh, rent is going to be raised and making sure people know their rights whenever they sign their lease. Um, generally, the tenants' rights ordinances across the state have a lot of overlap. There's only so much we can do locally uh, because of state law. And so we're all sort of piling onto that. Now, Pinellas County, I can speak most uh, consistently on because, uh, you know, it's the jurisdiction we're under. And they actually came and did theirs a few years after St. Petersburg did ours. And they had everything that St. Pete had in it uh, and more. Uh, so some of the changes we made recently were to bring ours in into line with the counties. Uh, we laid the groundwork for 
the first municipality in Pinellas County to do it. And then Pinellas County government took it on and expanded it. And they expanded it by um, increased amount of time uh, for the inspections like we talked about. And we recently updated ours to uh, match theirs. Um, but we did opt out of theirs so that our code enforcement could enforce it uh, because we believe our code enforcement would be more responsive and quicker than the Pinellas County code enforcement. So far in this interview, we've talked a lot about state preemption. So there were bills coming out of Tallahassee during the session that preempted local control of a lot of different things. But including HB 1417 and HB 133, they would wipe out local renter protections that, that you've been talking about. And they would also allow landlords to charge non-refundable fees in, instead of uh, security deposits that are typically refundable. What are your thoughts about those two bills? So the one that would preempt all uh, tenant landlord um, regulation is really disturbing. Um, I've been spending most of this interview detailing how uh, effective the city has been and how s smooth everything has gone um, with our things like our Tenants' Bill of Rights um, and how much more helpful they've been to parts of our population. Uh, and all of that would go away, really. Um, there's some things we could still do, like Tenants' Right to Counsel, uh, we believe would survive. Uh, because it's not regulating anything. It's just providing attorneys. But, uh, you know, the income discrimination, the uh, amount of time before rent increases, the amount of time before your landlord can cancel your um, uh, can cancel your lease, all of these things would go away uh, across the entire state and would really cause difficulty for tenants um, in the cities that have enacted them. And so uh, I think it's waiting on the governor to sign it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I really do hope that he doesn't sign it. And uh, and then, you know, there's the other bill about the um, the fees, charging fees uh, instead of uh, a deposit. You know, I think the thought behind that was, oh, it's a lot of money up front. And so you spread it out. You know, I just uh, I can't take anything the state says in good faith at this point, honestly. So. Uh, I, I have concerns and I think, you know, that could play out really negatively for tenants, um, just adding to where they can have fees charged to them constantly. It could just be another tax uh, on poor people in this state. And so I'm concerned. Our guest is St. Petersburg City Council member Richie Floyd. We're talking about housing affordability and tenants' rights on Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan coming to you from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. We have a, a question from one of your constituents. Joe writes, I'm a resident of Floyd's district. Would like to know why the city is interested in enforcing existing ordinances that prohibit short-term rentals from occurring more than three times in any year period. He says there are multiple multi-unit Airbnbs on my street and dozens more in my neighborhood. Freeing up this housing stock for annual rentals for locals that want to live and work here seems to be the simplest and most effective way to get more housing on the rental market. So that's thanks for that question, Joe. What would you say, Councilmember Floyd? Yeah, Joe's totally right. I mean, we have an ordinance in place that prohibits um, short-term rentals. And uh, for the exact reason mentioned in the question, um, you know, short-term rentals are uh, taking housing stock off the market away from people who need to live and work here. And so uh, we do have an ordinance on the books uh, that I would say not the, not an issue, but, you know, the, the 
difficulty is enforcement of the ordinance. Um, it's it's up to our codes department to enforce this ordinance. Uh, and the investigations can be quite cumbersome and take up a lot of time. I've been trying to work with the codes department to uh, bolster their resources. And that's the thing that I'll be talking about with them over the next year or so. But uh, what we need really is people like Joe to report these uh, short-term rentals to codes. Uh, and when they report them, provide as much evidence as possible so that uh, the investigations, uh, the wheels are greased for the investigation. Uh, codes has to go in and act as if they're going to rent it and make sure it's not being rented for uh, more than it's allowed to be rented for because people can rent them for uh, longer periods of time or fewer times a year. Um, and so we just have to make sure uh, that it's if it's going on, people are telling us so that we can investigate it. I would really encourage anybody, if you're seeing this in your neighborhood, please uh, report it to codes. You can do it through uh, a number of ways call the city you see click fix um and uh any support we can get from the community will make it easier on us as well so if there's residents out there who are interested in housing and they want to watch st petersburg city council for what's coming up next what should they be looking out for when's the next time you you'll be talking about this voting on on something that has to do with housing rights so I think the uh, the next thing will be our tenants right to council. I can't give you an exact date, but it should be in the coming months. Um, so you can pay attention to that. Uh, unfortunately, if the state does preempt it, we're going to have to roll back a lot of our ordinances that we have now. You probably don't want to watch that. I don't want to be there for that either. Um, but uh, and then there's always ongoing housing deals. Uh, I'm actually putting in a new business item uh, as we speak. Uh, in the next couple of weeks that you'll be able to see to talk about municipal bonding um, to try to do city-owned mixed-income housing because um, ultimately I think, uh, you know, relying on the private sector and people who are trying to create a profit off of our housing uh, is not going to solve our solution. There is not going to solve our problem. They're out to make money. They're not out to house people. And so uh, I'm trying to get a conversation started about uh, building housing for human for human need, um, doing it mixed income, high quality, uh, so that we can get everyone in our city housed. We have a shortage uh, for everyone, and uh, that'll come up in the next couple of weeks. It'll just get sent to committee, uh, and so you'll be able to see those couple of things pretty soon. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Tuesday Cafe, Council Member Floyd. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. I'm glad you could join us. Richie Floyd is a St. Petersburg City Council member. And we're going to turn now to our next segment of Tuesday Cafe. We continue to look at New College of Florida. In January, Governor DeSantis remade the Board of Trustees of the small public college by appointing a conservative majority. Since then, students, faculty, and alumni have fought back against the changes. One of New College's most famous alumni is someone who doesn't give very many interviews. Ex Gonzalez was a student at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018 at the time of the mass shooting there, and they became a high-profile advocate against gun violence. But Gonzalez became more low-profile during their time at New College. Low-power FM community radio station WSLR in Sarasota recently interviewed Ex Gonzalez, along with another famous New College alum, Derek Black. He was a white nationalist when he started at New College, but he moved away from racism during his time there. So here is WSLR's interview with Ex Gonzalez and Derek Black by WSLR News Coordinator Johannes Werner. Thanks to them for this coverage. One question first. Have you ever shared a microphone before, the two of you? 
No, um, honestly. No, it's the first time. We only met yesterday for real and in, in person. We we've been talking on Zoom and stuff previously, but yeah. it's cool. It's nice to be in front of a microphone together. I've been experiencing that everything that's been happening tends to be bringing new college people together and it's continuing now. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Love every opportunity that we get to, yeah, to hang out and that converse That is definitely about. the upside to the terrible last few months. Yes. The benefit is that, you know, tragedy brings community together and fascism really does in, in ignite a fire in us all. You know, once again, I want to say thank you so much for having us on the show today. We're huge fans. We have friends who come on the radio all the time. And um, we really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um and so, you know, some of you might know that new college graduation is upon us, and today is the day of the formal graduation for current graduating students, the class of 2023, who have had a hell of a time, excuse my language, um, trying to graduate, trying to just move through the world. Um, hurricanes, COVID, and now a hostile takeover, they have been doing their best, and they are finally graduating this class of theirs and they are going to be free free of this they're going to be adults they're going to move forward with their lives and it always of course you know going to a graduation makes you remember your own and you know the friends that you made and stuff and i have the opportunity of being friends with most of the people graduating this year because i graduated last year um but yeah i guess you know i don't know derek you want right. to you want to take it from there it's i mean such a class like mm -hmm. when we were at alternative graduation last night watching them make their own moment like be able yeah. to plan their own night it just really hit me how many world changing things had personally hit them in their years yeah. while they were there and and i graduated almost a decade ago now and so my experience of coming back to new college was it, it, it was you know i was watching you like see everybody and you you know when you're out for a year it's like you're still a student and i had this is the first time i've been back to campus where it's really finally true that there is nobody who you know like dated a friend of mine or who has this sort of like interpersonal stuff that happens in new college yeah. but like finally we were far enough away that not only was there are there no like classmates there's no like friends of classmates it's really a, a class of students for whom like i am one of the alums from the history exactly. that like are coming back to campus it's yeah. like meeting people seeing campus in this very weird moment mm -hmm. and sort of realizing how much is consistently still here. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's just really, I, I knew what we'd been trying to protect, but seeing it really thriving, actually, it almost surprised me. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. It's it's really incredible to see how far so many people have come and the incredible things they've done, too. Like, obviously, in spite of the hardships that everybody's been dealing with, like, just the, the the breadth of things that people have been able to accomplish, you know, graduating with a senior thesis, you know, and that's something that's funny to me is so many people will ask me about my college experience nowadays and, you know, they don't know who I am and I like to keep a low profile, as we mentioned, and I'm like, yeah, I went to the school where, you know, on my thesis and blah, 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 and they're like, thesis? <laughs> are you, are you, did you go to grad school? And I forget that not everybody does have to do a thesis in order to graduate college. Um, but New College of Florida is an honors college. And we are, it is a school full of incredibly excellent, academically minded people, full of some of the smartest people, most intellectually engaging and academically forward thinkers that you could find. 
you know? We've been talking, like Derek and I have been hanging out for this, these past, this past day. We've been talking nonstop about new college, new college culture, and the phenomena that has been occurring. I feel like the, 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 the extension of the upside of, like, I don't know, sort of bringing everybody together is realizing how much we all have in common. Yeah. Like, up, up until now, I... It's not that I felt alone. Like I've I've maintained my relationships. All my mm-hmm. all of my closest people are new college people. They're new yeah. college people from my year though, or years around me. And we've been through a lot. You know, I mean, just like just even beyond my own personal yeah. way that we like met and went through everything. We've just been through a lot of life. But we felt a little bit like adrift and alone. We were yeah. strange people who went to a college that nobody had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. All of us had the line memorized. We were like, yeah, I went to a small liberal arts college. It's a public university in Florida. It's in Sarasota. You know, There are no and, grades. Yeah, there are no <laughs> grades. Like, oh, yeah, it was really... Yeah. And then just people having no idea and maybe sort of trying to explain it. And that's changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, people you know, tend to know what my school is now, which yeah. is not for the best reasons, but like yeah. people do. And alums that I didn't even know lived in my city. I live in Baltimore now. Coming out, uh, hosting events, putting together yeah. responses to, to the assaults on the school. And it's really made me realize just how much we all have in common. It's not that my friends and I had the unique experience of being at this college and seeing each other and growing together. It's that we all were nurtured by this yeah. same college in ways that are almost spooky. I, I, I'm meeting people who graduated 30-something years ago, and we share the same language. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. We all talk in a very, very similar way. I met <clears throat> somebody from the first graduating class at the first Board of Trustees meeting um, with the new Board of Trustees for New College um, in, oh God, was that, I think that was February? I don't remember what month it was. Probably January, you know, when... Um, I don't know if any of the listeners know or have forgotten, but the original, um, the first day of the hostile takeover, the beginning of it all was January 6th, which many of us do not feel is coincidental. Um, but yes, uh, there is um, there is a lot here. Kind of lost my train of thought for a second there. I mean, I guess just the only point that I'd really make is there's so much about New College that changed my life. Yeah. Right? And in some ways, like, I... I've gotten, this is not the first interview I've done where people ask me about new college. And up mm-hmm. until now, I've always said, described it as a small liberal arts college in Florida. Now people care about new college in a different way. But there's a part of me that always experienced it as like, wow, I had a very unusual experience yeah. at a college, at new college. It was very weird. And I have been coming to grips with the fact that we all had really transformative experiences at yeah. new college. That. Uh, there's something about mine that sort of people find very shocking or surprising or unusual or weird, but the thing that I always happens when I talk to new college alums, you know, whether they're you know people I have known myself from there or just all these people I've been meeting the last few months, mm-hmm. first thing that always comes out of their mouth is some version of, uh, well, you know, like not exactly the same, but I too had a radical experience where I went in experience, no thinking something and then I came out really like changed. believed I just changed. And I've started to realize that this school is a little bit of a magic space of pressure um, (laughs) and joy and love and explosive experiences (laughs) that I've talked to a lot of people from a lot of different places all over the country in academia in sort of intentionally transformative spaces and there's Mm -hmm. something about New College that I am much less unique than I think I get credit for. (laughs) New College changes us all. Yeah. 
And the kind of fear that we hear from members of this board, people who are trying to make some kind of spectacle, we we make a big deal about like explaining, oh, maybe you don't understand. It's not an ideological place. It's not, it's not about water. But like the real truth is this place completely transforms people. And I think maybe that might be what they're actually afraid of. There's, it's not ideological. It's not anybody's being told what to believe or what to think. I wasn't told what to believe or what to think. I came to my own position. I came to a point in my life where I had to really dramatically alter what I was doing, what I thought. And it's not because somebody told me I needed Nobody ever would have been able to convince me to do that if they were like, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. It happened because New College doesn't do that. (laughs) And I'm starting to realize that's what they're actually afraid of. Like They want it to be a place where people tell you what's right and what's wrong. Uh, yeah, they cannot stand the lack of structure and the informality that we like to bring to academia. They they have um, really been afraid of the power that the students have. Like every year, students will get together and do some sort of protest because, you know, there are always things going on at New College. There are always problematic things happening where somebody's like, well, that's a problem, and I as a student am impacted by it, and I would like to combat this change, and as this is my home, I would like to protect my home at the same time. And so there are so many protests that have happened, and by the time you leave, you kind of just have learned how to throw a protest, you know? A lot of people understand, like, interpersonal um, social situations in an activist sense, in a... in um in an active way like that, like, far more. I, I, like, I wish you could put it on your resume. <laughs> it's something that's kind of not quantifiable. Um, but, yeah, I feel like a lot of the things that um, have come under, you know, scrutiny about New College, for example, the lack of grades or the contract system that we have where um, instead of, like, being assigned courses for your major, you you pick courses that you are interested in for your area of concentration, and um, your advisor says, okay, well, we're going to agree that you're going to pass at least three out of four of these, and if you do or you don't, then you will not complete the contract, et cetera, et cetera, legalese. But anyways, it's it's one of the best structures for education that honestly should be modeled in in universities and colleges around the country and I was a student tour guide and a student ambassador in my senior year so I answered a lot of parents questions when they were like well my child would like to go to law school after this what are they supposed to do with no grades and every time I would tell them because it's true law schools prefer narrative evaluations to grades because they do not know what type of a student is you know just on this page that says a a a a a but they know what type of a student who that they are hiring or who they are who are they are accepting into their college when they read a narrative evaluation that a professor has written has taken time to write multiple narrative evaluations evaluations on papers and on the courses itself um that yeah i remember applying to grad school and uh submitting i don't know 30 or 40 pages of evaluations Mm -hmm. which had a lot more information than a series of A's would have had. Mm -hmm. And I will also point out, you know, if you work hard, you get an A. 
that's great, and it's nothing but praise. Yeah. You work hard, you get a really strong, satisfactory evaluation. That thing is going to end with, and here's the five places you could really improve. Yeah. Like, like there's things, always going to be constructive they criticism. They end with some kind of, like, <laughs> you could get better. And yeah. It's so, you know, A's, A's are more peaceful, my friend. A, you know, <laughs> grades are much, are much easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, as somebody who loves being um, on top of things and being seen as a good student by my professors, if I got a B, oh boy, the panic attack that would have ensued. <laughs> what did I do wrong? But getting, here's where I feel like you could have improved. Your sources weren't so strong. I feel like you're very passionate and you could, you know, channel this passion into something more specific, blah, blah, blah. Like, that type of information is wildly helpful for a student. And, you know, with new college and its low faculty to student ratios, where the class sizes are very tiny in comparison to most other institutions, you know, we get a really personal connection with our professors, um, which, you know, I don't have to tell you, Derek, we're, we're like, you know, for these alternative graduation and the graduation tonight, we've been hanging out with so many professors that we have become friends with as we're alums. We get to just like text them every now and again and be like, hey, how are you doing? How are your kids? Um, it's just really endearing how close we get to become as a community. It's been really nice being back in town and seeing professors. We're not quite peers yet, but yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't know if we need to, you know, defend the narrative evaluations of people or not, but I am kind of tempted to because yeah. I do think it's one of the things when I look out at, at New College and I mm -hmm. say, you know, we're in a precarious moment. We really are mm -hmm. being under attack. And I, I have actually a lot of trouble saying what is it that... Uh, would be my definition of like we've lost because yeah. there's so many pieces to it. We have yeah. such a tradition. We it's a huge so mosaic. When you when you show up, you might not realize it the first day, but you kind of realize that the second and everyone on that we have decades of culture and tradition, and you learn the names and the heroes yeah. and the moments and the urban legends, mm -hmm. and every single one of those things is a piece of the tapestry. Yeah. And I, I have kind of some trouble like deciding what are the ones that are absolutely key and. Uh, you know, narrative evaluations, yeah. I think, super essential, but it's also not the moment of New College. It's not like yeah. the kernel. It's not the thing that yeah. makes or doesn't make New College. The contract system is absolutely breathtakingly, life-changingly amazing it to is. meet with your advisor and, and legitimately have a conversation. Think, think structurally about your education, where you would want to go, embracing the things you're interested in, even though they might not necessarily be your main focus. I would have Socratic debates with my advisor about, like, <laughs> why this is the thing that is going to change my intellectual trajectory yeah. and I need to do it and mm -hmm. he would be like I don't know about that Derek and I would say <laughs> I stand upon this mountaintop and I will have you sign this contract and like I don't know I have not done that in academia since then I just yeah. like sign up in the course registry and yeah. we you know we see how it goes and there's so much more active engagement you know on a, on a person to person level in new college there's so much active consent and like um, power over your own ag agency over your own self right and even Things like ISP. Yeah. Every January. Independent student projects. Every January we have the entire month before the spring semester starts. To do a project. You figure it out. You know, you also have a big debate with your advisor about what that's going to be, but you figure it out. And yeah. some people, it's, you know, they randomly have a January to, you know, show up and do an internship somewhere where no other college students are breaking down the door. Some exactly. people write a crazy essay. Some people, you know, decide they're going to start an on-campus cafe. Like, yeah. stuff. We, we had a friend stuff. who baked a different type of bread every day because they were very interested in learning how to make bread really good. Uh -huh. And then at every party after that, they would, like, bring a fresh ciabatta. Like, how is that not community building? Anyways.
Well, that is X Gonzalez, and we're also hearing from Derek Black. This is a taped interview from about uh, eight days ago or so, where WSLR in Sarasota, low-power FM community radio station, had these two famous New College alumni and Derek was a white nationalist when he started at New College. X Gonzalez was a student at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School at the time of the mass shooting and became a high-profile advocate against gun violence. We're going to hear the rest of this interview now, but I want to thank WSLR for their making this available so that we can it can reach a wide audience. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe, broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Here's more of Derek Black and X Gonzalez on WSLR, and you're listening right now to Tuesday Cafe, brought to you from WMNF. Thinking through on the ground, mm-hmm. how do how do I define we saved the school, and yeah. also how do I define like we've lost the school? Yeah, I, I haven't come to a solid answer. Like yeah. I have the solid answer of these people may close the school. Yeah. I would say we've we've lost. We've lost it if that happens. Yeah, they may lose accreditation. Like I could start listing worst case scenarios. Yeah, and all the traditions, all the culture, there's a million of them. And I I would fight to the the end for the contract system for narrative evaluations. I want everybody who, you know, is... For the student-run spaces on campus and... For the independence. For the the nature that exists on campus, for the... For so, the systems, the parts of the campus that students have put forward, like organization, all organizationally, there's like the Student Success Center where students help other students schedule their their stuff, their uh, help them like break down essays so that they can get them done in a timely manner, help them figure out how to deal with very stressful things going on in their lives, like all of that stuff is like not only are students like working on campus and so there are student jobs, but there are students helping other students, helping build the community that way which also is empowering to the students receiving help and to the students giving help. Like, there's just, like, the list goes on and on when it comes to, like, student-activated things on campus that are helpful as opposed to hurtful, that have absolutely nothing to do with indoctrination. Like, that word does not come to mind. Now, I can't help but uh, point out that you're very positive about New College. There are weaknesses of that campus as well. True. Um, yes, indeed. One of the areas where it's being attacked is DEI. Yes. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, yet, ironically, Derek, I remember you saying in a in a Zoom meeting some months ago that one of the reasons you picked New College, it's one of the whitest campuses in, in Florida. <laughs> So I'm wondering what your reaction is to DI being under attack and and that choice. I think it is, there was no intentionality behind them attacking New College as the uh, the home of DEI. Like, I I did do a talk at New College uh, 2021, I think. It was a little bit more than a year and a half before uh, this trustee situation happened. And, And, you know, it's interesting and funny in retrospect uh, because one of the main things I was there to do was to say, you know, this is my, my story is, you know, people take it as very inspirational, like New College really changed my life. The administration didn't necessarily, you know, I had a lot of critiques of the administration. They yeah. didn't, in my experience, they didn't intervene. They didn't yeah. speak up on behalf of students who felt unsafe having a white nationalist on their campus. Like, they never spoke publicly. 
And so when all this first started happening and, and they attacked this administration as this, uh, I don't I don't know, I'm going to repeat the stupid stuff they like, called yeah. it as just this ideological canvas. I could very easily say, oh, you know, so so you're going to you're going to make New College the kind of place that would admit and defend the right to an education to like the most hardcore Nazi. Right. Like that. That's what these trustees are here to do. Yeah. And like. Sorry, friend, that New College has been that apparently for a decade. And like I say that a little bit facetiously, but I don't know. There's a there's a sort of a consequence of New College being a place that has embodied the idea of standing away and letting the students govern their own lives yeah. more than anywhere. I, I, yeah. I went to grad school after New College. I've been at a, several different universities. I've been at big private universities. I've been at uh, large public state universities in other states. And nowhere has ever just trusted that the students, even, even if they are having an incredibly difficult time, uh, has just allowed the students to govern their own lives and figure out what they wanted in the world and there's that is not an unadulterated uh, praise of an administration that yeah. often stood too far back often allowed students to be in a situation where they felt like they had too much responsibility yeah. to defend themselves to yeah. make their own spaces and protect themselves but at the same time uh, you know we're in a moment where people are calling this college and you know an ideological school and to think that I have never been anywhere where the administration was more hands off Literally. in a way that I had to show up and critique them, yes. you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah. It's just the reality of mm -hmm. New College is so different from the way that it is being presented that you, anyone who's observing it can't come to a conclusion other than they're, they're not telling you the truth yeah. about the intentions, the, the meaning of what all of this is around New College is about stating power. Yeah. You know, it is about trying to assert power both so on campus and broader. It's about a land grab. They want the land for developers. Like, it's so transparent, you know? They want the, the belief that New College tries to create as a place, as a little... A little microcosm. Yeah. I've heard the word microcosm so many times in the last two days. <laughs> and it is a microcosm, and there legitimately are models of society that come out of that microcosm. Yeah. And they they don't want that model. They yeah. don't and, and by that I would be a little bit more explicit. Like the model, the mic the model of society that comes out of New College, that the microcosm, when it's doing its best, when the, what the students yeah. create is a world where people respect and trust each other where they treat each other with care and kindness where an us versus them gets broken down into you are a member of this community and you have harmed me and i need you to recognize that yeah and that is the model of society that they do not want to exist like yeah. that is the model of society that comes out of this school that is i, I had an amazing education i learned a lot of things that really challenged my worldview. but mm -hmm. fundamentally what really happened to me at new college was people showed me a different version of the world and yeah. made me answer for like what was my contribution to it yeah. and that's also the thing that everybody who comes up and says like oh i was transformed at new college that's what they that's what yeah. they're saying it's that they saw a vision of the world they had never seen before and we've got a gang of people coming in who want to crush it that's such a beautiful and a true way of saying it. Like I, I couldn't say it better. You're absolutely right. It's it's pretty it's pretty devastating, yeah, to see what's happening going on. And the yeah, so we've we've been talking mostly about the positives of New College because as Novos or alums, we we take it upon ourselves to do our best to not critique the school in a way that outsiders would feel themselves entitled to also critique the school in that way. Um 
Although, we do have complaints, and let me tell you, we air them. But we do love keeping our dirty laundry in our laundry rooms. Um, because that's where laundry's dealt with. And we've been, we've been talking about this, you know, as well, Derek and I, throughout the, the day. Um, about how, you know, protests go on, and, and, and when Derek was at school, like, everybody tried to keep things out of the local news because that's not going to help the situation. However, in this situation, national news and local news can do a lot of help. It can warn people that this can happen nearby. This can happen in their hometowns because this is not something that is just happening in Sarasota. The person who is leading all of this is quote unquote treating this as an experiment to try to see if this can be replicated at other schools, which to me sounds very much like a threat. And I cannot interpret it any other way, especially as I am trans and I am queer. I am Cuban and I am white. I have a shaved head. Well, I don't have a shaved head. I have a, a bit of a mohawk right now, but it's pink. And I, I'm a visibly not polo-wearing, khaki-wearing white man. And the school that they're trying to make would help that type of person far more than me. And... By help, I mean very much that they're trying to force us out, trying to get rid of any and all trans and queer students, any place of comfort that anybody who is feeling othered or is a minority, any place that anybody who needs a safe place, they're trying to squish it out and make us leave. And at a certain point, it's important to ask yourself whether or not you can stay and keep fighting or if you have to leave and protect yourself and there is no shame in leaving to protect yourself not a bit but there is power in staying and fighting as well and it depends on every person involved you know some people do have the luxury of being able to pick up and leave some people do not have the luxury and those people who must stay deserve our support more than ever and as alums and as sarasotans it is our duty to help them in any way that we can to listen when they ask us to to be there when they ask us to be there and to be quiet when they are speaking now you're both political animals and that's <laughs> in the good sense of the word you're describing a naked power grab yes How do you best counter that? What would you recommend students? What would you recommend faculty? What would you recommend um, employees of New College? How to act within that? Yeah. Well, in all, assault. in all fairness, as this has been going on for a while, and we've been talking to students and faculty and staff thus far, so what we would say here is not anything new to them, but it's very much... Um, we are here to support and we we can um at the end of the day all put our work together and and when we do that we make it stronger i think it's sort of that answer my version of that is thinking what do i consider a win what do i consider loss mm -hmm. and the only real like extension that i can answer is It's the creativity of New College students yeah. that they have demonstrated, New the creativity of faculty mm -hmm. and even of administration. Uh, because what it takes is resilience. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, sort of sort of uh, ironic, actually, that resilience was the, the watchword for the last year before all this happened because yeah. the administration of Florida has a lot of power of universities and they are closing in on it every day. Yeah 
taking more direct power through legislation and through administrative action. And so in a lot of ways, it is very challenging, if not often impossible, although there are, a lot, there are legal avenues that people are all looking at and pursuing. But really, the way that New College has persevered all this time, and it has faced so many existential moments. You know, New College is not a place that has just always had plenty of money and has always <laughs> been fine and has always been not yes. on the brink of falling apart. And it has continued to exist because people continued to believe in it, to pour all their hearts and energy into it, yeah. to build a home for themselves there. Put it together with spit and glue. And there is a real effort to physically drive out the people who have been trying to make a home on mm. that bit of land on the bay for 60 years. And it's very possible they could succeed. They could physically drive out the community that's trying to build it, but they haven't. Yeah, There's no guarantee they will. Yeah. I think they probably won't. Mm -hmm. And the creativity of students is going to, and faculty, the entire community, yeah. and alums who are scattered around this world mm -hmm. um, and have never left the piece of their heart that lives on the bay. All of them are the ones who figure this out. And, mm -hmm. you know, both of us are a part of that. Yeah. And it's just amazing, even so far, the last five months, the kind of creative things people have thought of yeah. and the ways. And it all comes down to just continuing doing it. Uh, and I, I do want to make the point that you, you went a second ago about, like, you know, some people can, can, can have the choice, can have the ability to go. But there's something that's common about new college students as opposed to a lot of you know liberal arts colleges broadly yeah. is that new college students more often than not came there because they could afford it yeah. like it was it's an affordable cheap. option tuition in florida was affordable they were often in state and they didn't always look around in the world and say you know i want to have a transformative liberal arts experience they often began by looking around and saying what is what, what, what can, is what college can i afford yeah, if the, i want to get a job in this world like the institutions of society have given me certain avenues and I'm going to like make the most of them, but I'm looking around and they saw a new college. I saw a new college. I think yeah. you saw a new college. I'll, all of us have a different version of what we saw when we looked at new college and decided, but you know, most I of can. us decided on it because it was the affordable option. And that's a really important thing to remember about every student who's there. Every faculty member is there by yeah. extension. It's not yeah. a, it's not the most well-paying academic job. And every alum who's gone out into the world who started their life mm -hmm. largely thinking, I can go here. This is, yeah. uh, it's not that they look at and say, what are all the options in the world? Which I feel like sounds like I'm doing a dig on New College because <laughs> I think this is actually what makes it the most special place I have ever been in my life, academically at least, is that we all came there because we needed a home and then yeah. we built it for ourselves while we were there and we all contributed a tiny piece to it. And we're all trying to defend the home that we built for decades yeah. uh, because we've never left it. There's, uh, we, we, I think sometimes it feels like they're trying to take it from us, mm -hmm. and I have been pondering that the last few days, and mm -hmm. I, I've realized something, which is that they, they, they even know they can't take anything from us. Like they're too late, right? We, yeah. we have our home. You know, we carry alums. We're always, we always knew we were going to leave. We didn't plan yeah. on staying in on the campus forever. We always, always yeah. knew we were going to go, and they're too late because we carry our homes with us everywhere we go. Yeah. And what they're trying to take is the future. They're trying yeah. to take like the siblings who we don't have yet, mm -hmm. who are never going to know that New College could have been one of the options that they could afford, the exactly. place they could go and become a part of a tradition and a community. And what we're fighting for is not to keep this from being taken from us. We always have each other. We're 
we're trying to fight for the future. Exactly. And the people who we want them to know what's there for them. Just like we found out what was there for us because people had fought for it so many times before. Yeah. And and this has come up a lot in the past couple of days, you know, people mentioning how the opposition is really going after youth and going after children and going after education, the spaces in which um, children and young people engage the most on their day to day um, and trying to control the, the ways in which students, young people and children are educated and brought up in this world. And... <laughs> Who said that to control the youth is to control the future? <laughs> oh, yeah, Hitler. So maybe, DeSantis, if you want to not be like Hitler, don't use his tactics and try to kill the children in the state. That's just a, an idea. But anyways, you know, I, I feel like it is always worth mentioning that when, you know, you look at adults in this world and you think to yourself... I don't like the way that that person looks. I don't like the way that they're presenting. I don't like the way that they talk. I don't like anything about them. In fact, I hate everyone that's like them. When you do that, you're saying to children who will grow up one day, I don't want you to grow up. I don't want you to be here when I'm, you know, inevitably immortal. <laughs> I'm going to put all my money into a future in which you cannot live in. And that is exactly what this administration has been pushing for you know, not in so many words, but it's coming through clearer and clearer. There's absolutely no way to ignore it. There are trans and queer students. There are students of color, especially, who have come under, you know, the direct scrutiny of people who do not care about them, people who want them gone, people who do not care if they live or die. That is the truest statement here. They do not care if the students to see next year. Well, that is X Gonzalez, and we also heard from Derek Black. That was WSLR's recent interview with X and with Derek by WSLR News Coordinator Johannes Werner. I want to thank WSLR for that interview and for letting it reach a wide audience on WMNF's Airways on Tuesday Cafe. Later this afternoon, you'll be able to find a transcript of that interview on WMNF.org. Thanks to our phone screener, John Dunn. Also, I want to thank my earlier guest, Richie Floyd, who is a St. Petersburg City Council member. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF Tampa. We'll be back again next Tuesday at 10. At, and we during this time slot tomorrow at 10 o'clock on Wednesday, Shelley Reback will host Midpoint. Coming up next is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. They're going to talk about mental health care with Carrie Zisa, Executive Director of Tampa Bay Thrives. Tomorrow, our new programming schedule kicks off. At noon tomorrow, you can hear Talk About It with Walter Dunn. We also have a new show at 10 on Fridays, 10 in the morning on Fridays, called Down and Dirty with Mario Nunez and John Dinkfelder. And then Mabili's new show will come on at noon on Monday. It's called Community Matters. This has been Community Speaks, that is. This has been WMNF's Tuesday Cafe, coming to you live on May 30th, 2023, from the studios of WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Also, thank you to everyone who contributes at WMNF.org. We'll be raising funds in about two weeks, and I hope to hear from you then or now but with your donation at WMNF.org. Live from NPR News in Washington.